And welcome, folks, to Dublin South FM. Yes, another week, another show, another interview. And they're getting better and better as the weeks go on. And this week we have Theresa May Hand Campbell. Theresa, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. Yes, yes yeah. You were on one of our other shows uh, the other day. Uh, well, not the other day, last week. It was Business okay. Eye. And I, I could feel you were holding back holding back on on your thoughts um, of what's going on in the world. And so I decided to ask you to come on to this show because we don't hold back on this show. We don't hold back on this show. Okay, okay. This should be interesting. Yes. The world that we live in today, um, as we know, it's um, very strange. There is a lot of people working in the background to try and figure out what our political and economical systems uh, have for us in the future. Um, and one of the things which fascinates myself is, is our young generation, you know, you and me, we're, we're of an older generation and you know, we grew up being, being bored. And um, so lockdown wasn't that really, if it really didn't affect us that much because when we were younger, we'd nothing to do anyway. Uh, if anyone can remember the, the seventies and the eighties and the nineties. Well, you didn't um, say you were bored or you got another job to do, you know. You got another job to do. Yes, that's it. I'll tell you what boredom is. Yes. It. The youth. And when I say the youth, I'm talking about, you know, people in late teens up to 30, mm-hmm. 30 plus. I suppose Generation Z and the millennials. Why, as they say. Yeah. Yes. Um, have they come passive? You know, in the 60s and the 70s, we had big marches and we had CND and we had, you know, end nuclear war and people fought for their rights. And and that's probably because we had nothing as well in those days. Mm-hmm. Has a, a Celtic tiger then coming up then into, you know, the 24th century where people have everything at hand and money, you know, jobs, money. Because we have them, do people... Have people really, a younger generation, forgot what struggle was and what freedom is about? Appear to have everything. We have nothing in terms of values. There's been a whole, to my mind, these days I work as a psychologist. I did devote 30 years of my life to leadership and education. And I would have taught through the 80s and 90s and into the noughties and, and would have led schools throughout right up to 2017. And I saw it, 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 a school is a brilliant barometer on what's happening in society and because they're so closely linked to the school is serving the community in which it's located, etc. And there was such a change that uh, during that period, uh, I think youngsters, they are the, the ones who were told, I am special. They were the ones who were brought by the hand into the seat. They were the ones who were dropped to school by car. I remember as a four or five-year-old walking three miles home from school and trying to beat my brothers who were on the bikes. And that sort of lent itself to a certain type of grittiness and toughness as you grew up, you know. And uh, why we might have said we didn't have all the material things that the kids have nowadays, we knew how to play, we knew how to converse, and we experienced the great warmth of the closeness of home. But then a lot of things have changed. Family structure has changed, uh, the material world, and then I believe the distraction of uh, the phone, the screen, has 
really made uh, it brought our, our our youths to a passive type of state. And uh, you look anywhere you're going, you look on the trains, on the buses, even in the room where you have a number of youngsters and they're actually texting each other and messaging each other on these devices instead of talking. Yeah, and that has changed the way we think. They changed, you know, the, 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 the notion, use it or lose it. There are certain neural pathways that we uh, like plowing the field, certain certain. Uh, drills that we ploughed in terms of learning how to read, write, and that whole thing of reading and analysing, that thing of of perfecting our own uh, writing styles and deducing from our reading, etc. And that is going amiss with our youths because of their dependence on the screen. And I read a book recently, Reader Come Home, by a Marianne Wolf, And I just give you a snippet from the back of it which really encapsulates exactly where we're at with our youths. Will the next generation adept to multitasking and quick access to multiple sources of knowledge fail to fully develop their own slower, more demanding, deep reading processes such as critical reasoning and perspective taking, leaving them vulnerable to false information? We have arrived. That's where our youth are at. Will the seemingly continuous distractions on digital mediums change the nature of attention in our youths and thus disrupt their ability to concentrate and consolidate new information into memory? Have a chat with any teacher trying to teach what's in the classrooms of today. And they would say, it has arrived. And finally, across every age, will skimming become the new norm? that short circuits the time needed for inferential thinking, critical analysis, reflection, and the development of empathy, the core elements of a democracy. I think that gets it in one. I think it does, because even if you look at going back when the mobile phone came out, which was your the computer, and one thing I noticed when I was going to, I was backwards and forwards to the UK every week, and in the beginning, everybody was reading broadsheets and everyone had papers and you know, reading the paper. And as time went on, all those papers just vanished and everyone was just stuck on their screens. And people weren't talking to each other anymore. They were just in zoned in this little box. Mm-hmm. And then business then realized this was a key element. And now all businesses are trying to compete to get into this one little box on the palm of your hand. But what was happening as well, the phone was coming to babysitter at home. Parents were, you know, parents were, and we do it ourselves as well. You know, you're on a call or you're trying to do something and the kids know I'll hit them right now and they'll give me the phone and I can watch, absorb what I'm getting. And you sometimes will go, oh, look, I know they're only watching something, but it's, it's that flashing of the screen and everything. And is it then, but is it then the, uh, uh, the evolution of society, that they're they're adapting new ways of using the brain, which we didn't use. So we're they're sure. losing parts, but they're adapting new parts of the brain. 
remember recounting being at a wedding in Canada where I was sitting beside a lecturer from one of the universities and he said the jury is out on whether we need to know how to write anymore or not and I was horrified this is only about two years ago and he said we can we can use the keypad and it will evolve to the point where you just speak and it will automatically uh, do do its thing and I thought here what are we losing if we lose that notion of the precision of the hand and the hand-eye motor coordination, uh, being able to precisely use the, the, the thumb and the forefinger and all of that, uh, I think we will regress. You know, uh, if you think of hunter, man as hunter-gatherer and how over the, the uh, centuries we have evolved to this level of precision and mastery, and what are we trading what are we trading for the apparent sophistication of a technology, which is driven by another source, which may have its own agenda? And that's where we're falling foul. You know, a parents may say, well, Johnny is grand. He's upstairs in the bedroom. We know he's safe, but he has got the world and the dark world in his hand with his device. And we have no rules and regulations. When I was growing up, I always remember one of the programs was at Hall's Pictorial Weekly or Seven Days. One of these programs was taken off one week because of something they were going to discuss, something very benign altogether. Now you look, there is no censorship on this on this uh, uh, World Wide Web. You have youngsters accessing stuff that is absolutely destroying their minds. And as Richard Hogan in his book, Parenting the Screenager, quite rightly points out, online pornography, bullying, cyberbullying is rife. And what does it do to the young mind? And I asked him in my series, I do a YouTube um, uh, chat. I'm, I'm on episode five at this stage. I have a library built up. And I asked him on that a, a, a chat that has yet to go up. Is there a point of no return? So do you get youngsters into your um, psychotherapy uh, clinic who have gone past the point of return? He said it's extremely difficult to deprogram that uh, 18, 19 year old who at 10, 12 was accessing pornography. Yeah. So that is frightening. That is frightening because one of the things I know I was speaking to someone else uh, a long time ago when we were discussing this was that 18 and 19 year olds are watching porn and then they think this is how they have to perform when they're in a sexual encounter with a partner. Absolutely. And you know, and, and, and this is mad, you know, they're, they're watching make believe and they think that this is real life. But I, I just want to jump back a little and I yes. just want to, one of the things I want to just get on as well is that in primary schools, with the children that with the, the education system of what we were brought up, and I, we, I've said this multiple times before, was the industrial age. Sure. There is a new system that needs to come into place to adapt to the way children are learning. But mm-hmm. that adaption can go either good way or a bad way. And it, it needs it, to be very well planned. It needs, it needs to be, be planned, well. yes. But parents need to be involved. I think sure. parents need to not go, we trust the education system to teach our children. We need to be involved in this as well. And you're hitting on a a very, very good point. When government got its hand on what happens inside the four walls of the home, 
that's when things started, where the, the parameters between whose responsibility lies where became blurred. So the whole responsibility in parenting, parenting a child is the most serious task you'll ever take on. But there's no, there's no exam for it. There, there is no course for it. You're thrown in it. And that's where it has gone wrong. And you, what's expected from schools is, is, is wild. In my earlier years, you know, I was the educator and the, the parent parented. But now I believe the system is just taking a total flip in terms of who's responsible for what and where does it stop? And I mean, there was a famous case up north in relation to a rape case, a very high profile case in the recent past. And I, I was watching it and I said, wait until they blame the school. Either the children, the, the, those youngsters didn't have enough RIC, relationships and sexuality education, or they had too much of it, but the school will be to blame. And lo, they brought it right around to the last day after the verdict was handed down, Schools don't teach consent. It's it's always somebody else's responsibility. So uh, that whole thing has to be brought home. I could write a book called Parent Come Home, not Reader Come Home, Parent Come Home. That's where it's gone wrong. I'm sort of paused with that as well, because with schools, primary schools and secondary schools, there's so much pressure on the schools to get it right. And there is different opinions and, you know, it, it, with age comes wisdom. Mm-hmm. And I see like I've two girls in, in a, you know, in a local school, primary school, and the, the teachers there are amazing. And the head or the principal there is amazing and very in touch with the community. And I can see because of what's going on in the world, the struggle about what belief systems are of parents and how they do that balance. But then they're getting it coming down from the the government going, you need to do oh, this, you need to do yes. this, you need to do that. And that's where I think it's parents even, need yeah. to step in. Mm-hmm. And, and there's this sort of belief that the government is the enemy or the teachers, teachers are the enemy or you know, there's sometimes this element. But people have to remember that teachers are parents and they care for their children as well. And. Head, head principals are parents and they care for their children as well. So there has to be. But they're in the pincer of, effect. There's a pincer effect going on at the minute. You, Unless you have the school and the home singing from the same hymn sheet, there's, there's friction. Yes. Okay. But you've got teachers trying to deliver a curriculum. And all of these other forces are coming at them. Let's say we're forever quoting the Finnish system where the Finns told their teachers, you're our entrepreneurs, we cannot recover from recession without you. And all teachers were sent back to do their master's free on the state. And they talked up their teachers. They said, you are entrepreneurs, we can't do it without you. And they gave them the same respect and reverence that they give their medical doctors. Okay. And they made it. What do we do in Ireland? 2008. Rory Quinn, Teachers are to blame for X, Y, and Z. We talked them down because of the notion that private-public 
debate has always been pulled out in order to keep manners on both sides in terms of pay deals, etc. But in actual fact, it has done a disservice to education. Education is the key for any nation. And what's going through our classrooms of today is what's going to be sitting in the workplaces of tomorrow. And that is going to dictate our economic powers. And unless we respect it, we're lost. And any nation that loses the respect for its education system and its educators pays a price. And unfortunately, I believe that price is ignorance. And what happens? We will have to buy in from outside the state. We're going to have to buy in the um, expertise. And our own natives will not be able to compete in their own country. It is it's there. The, 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 the chicken is going, is, is, the, the egg is going to hatch, the whatever. It's all going to come home to roost. I understand that. But I also believe that the children that are being born today and for the last 10 years have a different mindset and are probably more developed than we ever were. You know, and they're more aware. They're asking more questions. They're being they? stopped. Who are they asking the questions it? of? Where are they getting like, their information? Like, they, there, the is apparent, the there is an apparent sophistication about a, a being tech savvy. But in actual fact, not until we get digital literacy brought in by law as a subject where we teach our young how to mind themselves on that, on social media, etc., until we regulate it, not until we wake up to that will we actually uh, save that beauty of the, the, the creative mind of the child, etc. There's a certain theft of that organic creativity going on through premature dependence on the screen. I believe that. Okay. I, I, I would agree. But I also see that, and I've learned this, when we were in lockdown, we were teaching our children at mm-hmm. home. Yeah. And for myself, that allowed me to understand what my child was being taught. Mm-hmm. For the first time, you know, I've, I have a 17-year-old, you know, a 21-year-old, a, you know, a nine-year-old and a five-year-old. But for when I was doing the homework with my nine-year-old, it was the first time I could actually see what they were doing. And I was even learning stuff, which I forgot. Oh, I forgot about that. And but do you do you think did you do a comparative analysis? Was the stuff you were doing with your nine year old of an equal standard to what you were doing back in the day with your twenty one year old? No, I wasn't doing anything with with my twenty one year old. You didn't do anything. No, when your when your twenty one year old was growing up, when he was a little lad, what was the standard like in comparison to the standard of what your nine year old is learning now? I'd say it would be slightly the same. Um, I can't say for the twenty-one-year-old that's a female, but it's the 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 seventeen-year-old. Okay, but what what I'm what I'm trying to get at is that the lateral they were teaching my daughter lateral thinking, okay, mm-hmm. and they were teaching her to be creative, and that's what I want to get in. That this is what they were teaching these two elements, mm-hmm. and I I in my own opinion that I think these are the Two, more, two of the most important things that you can teach a child, apart from reading, writing and, and, and so on, but being creative and lateral thinking. 
That is that is really coming to the fore now. And it's what's really needed going forward. Yeah. And the world of work is changing. Those kids will have several careers. They'll work in several capacities. And if you look at a robotics, all of that, the jobs it will take, but there will be other jobs created. So our education system has to pivot in that direction. We can't return post-COVID to the status quo. It has to change. And certainly the system of assessing children has to change. That whole, uh, let's say, the, the, the point system, etc. Uh, there's going to be greater emphasis on appreciating uniqueness and appreciating the natural creativity of the child. But the, the employers of today would decry the fact that youngsters coming in have none of the human skills, the soft skills that they did have in the past. So all of these things are going to have to be built in from the ground up. Yes, but, if it, but, but if it wasn't for COVID and wasn't for lockdown, mm-hmm. we would have allowed a system to continue mm-hmm. and get worse without knowing. Yeah, there were, there were a lot of upsides to the lockdown. There was certainly, it was a moment for pause. It was a moment for, for let's say, the four pillars of, the, of life, the home, the workplace, the, the interaction and communication and the networking and the me time for self-development all landed on the kitchen table at the same time. And I would have hoped that we learned from it and that the habits we developed during that period, that one year period, that we would actually hold on to them. It helped us reprioritize what's important. Yeah, and I think what's helping us as well is the internet. You know, um, and I, the internet is allowing us to have conversations. I'm in multiple groups, sure. on multiple platforms, sure. talking to people about education, talking mm-hmm. to people about our health system, talking to people about our political system, talking to people about our constitutional rights, talking to people about... It has started schools. a global conversation, it's hasn't it? started global conversations, but mm-hmm. not glo- global. But when, when you get into those global conversations, then people are connecting in sure. their countries. Sure. And I know that there's people saying, well, look, we need to make, t- make things better. And, you know, I say to them, says, well, if you want to make things better, you have to sort of go to your local council meeting and listen to what they're saying or find out in your local school about when they're having their AGM and turn up for that as well. And get involved, yeah, get, absolutely. It's, 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 it's no longer the time where we can just go, okay, we trust them, they're doing great, we all have to get involved. And I people remember, have to get involved in the communities as well. I remember as a principal organising meetings, uh, getting speakers in to talk about uh, cybersecurity and talk about a uh, safe use of uh, social media and internet, etc. by the young. And I could have maybe three to five parents show up. Yeah. Yeah, because it's so, oh look, they're grand. That's because they tr- it was. It's an element of trust. Trust in the system. Yes, yeah. in the system. Trust. Do you in the think trust. that is 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 based on 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 sort of foundations anymore? Do you think that that trust can that that willy nilly trust in the system can actually uh, will it will it will it? Um, no. 
And why? Because if you allow someone to do something. Yes. Without checking in every so often to see what's going on. They will then, and they will go off on their own way. And if you then jump back in a year later and go, how are you getting on with that project? They go, oh, here it is. You go, oh my God, that's not what I thought. Look, I've learned in, I've learned in business. If you're working with people, you give them direction. Then you check in every so often to see that they're doing it right. And you never say to someone, oh, look, I trust you. Off you go. But we do that with our, we're allowing that to happen with our children. Which brings us back to your original question about our youths. Have they become passive? Yeah. I think I think they have. I think that um, quote I, I, I gave you from uh, Marianne Wolf's book gets it in one. It's a, I know they're, they're developing other pathways, neural pathways, etc. But are they solid basis? Uh, where is it going to lead them? And they need to be authors of their own destiny. And are they handing that over to an outside force? Are they becoming more malleable, more herdable? And that is a worry coming from our generation's perspective. I I started that series of, uh, on uh, YouTube asking the hard questions. What legacy are we leaving our young? And I think as we get older, that becomes a very, very big question. What are we leaving with them? Are we leaving them with insurmountable challenge? We Are we leaving them with opportunity? And I know each age has known, has known its own challenge and it has come out of it. Will they be able to come out of the challenge that we're leaving them with? History. There's one part of history where we're having this conversation in the 60s. We'd be talking about, you know, Elvis Presley and the damage that he's doing to our children, you know, and rock music, you know. Have we learned anything from our history, though? Do we learn from our history? We're meant to learn from our history. There's one thing that history does teach us. Man will repeat his mistakes. It it repeats, it repeats. Absolutely, in a different guise. And I do believe that that's what's happening now. Yeah. And in the beginning, when COVID kicked in, we, we were fearful because we didn't know what was going on. Okay. There was chaos. And Mm -hmm. we thought that, and this allowed, this chaos allowed us to look at everything. You know, our children, our education systems, all the systems. And what we were learning, what it was taking us five years to figure out, we're figuring out now in five months. And Mm -hmm. we, at the beginning of this, we discovered community. We discovered empathy. We Mm -hmm. discovered, you know, back to the family because we were all in our pods, we're homework with our kids and everything. And we kind of said, well, maybe this might make a change and might get things better. But the establishment is making it worse for us because people were fed up before COVID. People mm-hmm. were, were had enough, you know, knew that things had to change. People knew that things had to change and things are changing, but they're getting worse. You know, they're getting worse. So it's worse government's, government's interpretation of this moment in time and what... Control. Is, they're actually is, putting more control on us. Absolutely. And, you know, and we're going, oh, my God, there's this more, more of this control is coming on us at the moment. You know, these passports and, you know, travel and lockdowns and everything. What is that doing for our, our teenagers and the people in their 20s? So 
we they are the people that need to say to the government what the hell are you doing they're yeah. the ones because you know we can only give them a book up but they're the ones that that, that, that can get over the wall but if they could take their heads out of their phones if they could take their heads out of the screens and ground themselves there might be a start you know, and that that is not about to happen. Uh, if you look at it, if you look at all of this, the the, the uh, green passport, etc. Now for travel, it's it's really encroaching on the rights and the freedoms won for us by our forebears, and it, it is scary that. If you think of our ancestors, think of our history as a nation, think of what we were put through at the hands of occupiers. Think of the struggle and what we achieved as a small nation. Think of our span right across the world, how we've uh, been maybe at times forced to immigrate, but how we've done. Are we willing to trade at all? Are we willing through this emperor's clothes type of intangible that we have no say in, willing to trade it all. I think it's very worrying. I mean, if you look at the precedent of that uh, uh, green cert, abolition of the inalienable right to decide over your own body, the elimination of other fundamental rights include the right to free choice, the right to consent, the right to a dignified life, the eradication of freedom of movement within the EU, and the promotion of discriminatory practices based on a person's health status. So, you know, you look at the Universal Social Charge, which was brought in as an interim measure and it would be reversed. It was never reversed. No. People just got used to it. So there's an awful lot of this uh, groupthink going on, which is highly dangerous. Yeah, it's like when I wrote to one of our TDs and asked him to not give a vote towards it, you know, say no to it. He said, oh, this is... Basically what I said, oh, this is for Europe. It's not going to be within Ireland. You know, you can, so you can still travel in your own country, but you won't be able to travel out. And I just thought how small minded that he was. And the reason being because what is, this is offering is opening the door to bigger amounts, to vaster uh, amounts. But, you know, in any a democracy, in any debate, you would like to hear from both sides. But that hasn't happened in this case. No, we haven't yeah. heard from both sides. And if the other side of reason tried making a point, they were automatically labeled conspiracy theorists and cast aside. And it's it, it's it's amazing how a drip, drip, drip the attitudes of people that were, were, were changed. And now those who take the vaccination, those who decide to stand aside and watch and wait, there's always the us and them. But a balanced debate has not yet been had on any of this. Yeah. And the media are right in there in the middle of it all. Yeah, but what's happened as well, that we've had citizen journalism, which has exploded. And it's great because... Citizen journalism is is living and breeding what's going on and they're sharing their information in real time. So if you're seeing something on in mainstream 
a bit, you know, a news mainstream, you can easily go to alternative and find people that were there or have had the experience, had the testimonials mm, and are giving you the real time. So I think mainstream media is gone. I honestly believe that it's it's the, the doors are closing on mainstream media because people are now looking at alternatives. And those alternatives is communities, people around the world, because they've got these microphones, they've got cameras, they've got the phones, which were, were you know, one, one of the good things about it is, and they're sharing stuff in real time. Sure. So people, people, and that goes back to lateral thinking. Don't take everything that you hear as fact. Possible. Yeah. Okay. There's a bit of truth in everything, but go and look and make, look and make your own decision. But the question is, will our youth going forward be able to do that? Will they have the discernment? Will they have the patience? Will they have the concentration? Will they have a, will they, will they actually do that? That is the worry. And if, if we let that slip, they won't. Okay. So they will be more open and more vulnerable to yes. the false news and to submission. The only thing that I can say is and having a a belief in a creator Mm -hmm. what needs to happen is humanity needs to get back to that creator and that is the words the nature or take yourself out of this um digital iphone which is let's call it state driven you know the government Mm -hmm. state this is control they are the ones that want everybody to listen to them and they're pushing everything out this sort of agenda that is pushing everything out listen to us we're right and they've been educating people or indoctrinating us over the last decade mainstream mediums or digital mediums as the saying goes there's no atheists on a sinking ship so Mm -hmm. this lockdown there's a lot of people wakening up but the question is will the great awakening be strong enough to influence the great reset? I think so. I I honestly believe because when the great reset is that idea, okay, but when people start talking, they'll realize that the great awakening has more power. And the reason why that the great awakening will work over the great reset is because of the two things, COVID and the internet. COVID mm-hmm. is making us wake up. The internet is getting us to, connect. Us to connect. So yeah. backfiring on the, 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 re, the, the great reset. You know, the, the, the lovely Irish saying, united we stand, divided we fall. And to my mind, the antithesis was stay apart to keep safe. That needs to be gotten over. And the, the it's, worse. Yeah, it's It's wordplay. It is. I have I have I have a a recurring theme in my mind for the last 18 months to two years. Mobilize to stabilize and strategize. We need to mobilize together to stabilize all of this and to strategize towards the life that we hold dear, that we that we consider important and the values we want to pass on to our young. Because let's face it, when we move on. The game is theirs. Will they be able for it? We need to equip them and we need to get certain things like that uh, digital literacy 
in there from the word go, from the base up. We need to wake them up to what's going on. And we need to train them in the, the soft skills, as they say, the human skills. But we also need to ground them in the beauty of their own individuality. We need to ask them, what do you need? You know, we're making decisions for our younger generations, our generation, because we know best. We need to go and ask them. As a parent, we need to ask them. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're listening to this and you have people in their 20s at home, excuse me, ask them, what do you need from our generation to help you? I have tried, I have actually started that with asking the hard questions. I had a 25-year-old on last week, uh, episode four, and it, it was refreshing talking to him. A lovely guy who had really, really valuable things to say. And I'm following it through with a larger group of the 20 to 30, 35-year-olds. And they need to be asked. They need to have their hand and their imprint on where we're going. But uh, he did make the remark during our conversation that it's as though we're, by the way, we're not asked. Yeah, yeah. So if they were to get into the corridors of power, would they even get in there? Would they even be listened to? Uh, it's serious. Yeah, you're right. It's the baby boomers and 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 the generation X coming up behind them that, in actual fact, are making. We're making decisions that will have far-reaching consequences for them. So they need to be in on the equation. What you have to have to realize is the people in their twenties died for this country. Absolutely. You know, for us to have some sort of freedom, um, people I know. died on it. But and ask them, what is it? Again, I'll say it if you have people at home in you know of a younger generation, asking them. What is it that we as our generation can do for you? And, mm-hmm. and other people that are listening to this, that are awake and understand and know people that very much mindset, listen to the government, listening to mm-hmm. mainstream media. It's one question they need to ask. What do you need to hear or for me to tell you or someone to say for you to believe to change your idea or to believe in another alternative story? I believe that is a conversation you could have on this program. Mm. I believe that you, there, there, there is a, a room there for you to get a, a full screen of those faces in front of you and say, right, what is it? What is it? Where are we failing? What is it that you need for going forward? And, you know, we can be brought down different alleyways and different smoke screens be brought up while other things have been brought in. And I know climate change and all of that is very dear to that generation. But they really need to get at the nitty gritties as well. need to get into it, yeah. People are fearful of, you talked about porn there earlier on, and a lot of, a lot of that. There's a lot of evil. There's a lot of evil in the world. People on it. And it, it, needs, it needs to be people, when you talk about that to people, they go, oh, I don't want to know that. I don't want to know that because it's too horrible. But it, we need to look at everything. We really yeah. do need to look at it. If you go back into the whole the whole uh, notion of the group think and that notion that it's the cycle of decision failure and how decisions were made and one key figure brought the group with them and they actually made wrong decisions. But there was that sense of, there was that shared sense of invulnerability 
uh, to failure. And in actual fact, I think we're living through an extinction of that whole theory on groupthink at the minute. You know, one thing I say to people, it could all really end tomorrow if we got rid of our iPhones and just got normal mobile phones that text and phoned. And I mean, we're going deeper into the iPhones if you're going on these certs, etc. And if you consider, I heard a story told very recently about a lady in Paris who went on Tinder and she wondered why the same type of characters were coming up the whole time for her as possible uh, dates for the future. And she asked through Freedom of Information for her information. What information had they on her that uh, was causing them to bring these same types up in front of her? And she was new to social media, really. And they produced 800 double-sided sheets on her through freedom of information. So if our young could get it into their heads that all of these algorithms are collecting the information, they're doing the profiling, and we go down this route of being a profiled and herded. I mean, data is the new oil. Uh, Where is it going to lead? And you can't put, you've got to respect the individuality of every human. We've got to respect the right to privacy. We've got to respect all of that. We've got to respect the heart and soul of each individual. And that sort of notion of a godless society is is playing there somewhere as well. It is. It's, you know, we have to realise that we're a sovereign human being and we have rights. And those rights for me, you know, God-given rights for me, have to be respected. That's you know, it's mm-hmm. it's either that or it's it's CCP but education. Um, it's time, I think, uh, for those decent, strong-minded, grounded people who are not conspiracy theorists, who are common sense theorists. But that's say. it. Conspiracy is thrown out if someone goes against what people are saying, and if people really looked at what. If people looked at what the word conspiracy actually means, it would make, you know, they would realize it's someone who's just questioning something that isn't right and wants to know more. Yeah, it's a recurring phrase from everybody I speak to. I do an awful lot of work through Zoom, etc. And the current, the, the, the recurring phrase is something is not right. Something is not adding up. Two and two equals four, not 3.5 or not 6.5. And that's and the beauty that's of it. That's the beauty because by that we are going, holy God! And lockdown. I, I will finish on this. Okay. Yes. I believe lockdown is helping our young generation to ask questions. Going, hang on, why can't I go out? A lot of them would say that it has been a great time of grounding, and I know one very close to me who said, "You know." I've grown to love my own company. But what worries me is at this moment in time, I know more people who have committed suicide or separated from in their marriage than I do who people who got COVID. And that, to me, begs questions. Yeah. Some people are just not able for this lockdown. And depending on life circumstances, depending on the home, depending on the happiness in the home, depending on uh, your, your, your status, uh, working, unemployed or whatever, depending on your, your mindset, if you have a growth mindset and you're open, you're optimistic, 
This is really trailing you in your optimism. We need a dream. We need to believe in a better tomorrow. And those young, those people in their 20s and 30s who say, I'm out of here, that's not a solution. They're leaving carnage behind them. But it needs to be a conversation in the media. I read a snippet this morning that said there's no evidence that there's an increase in a suicide. And in fact, self-harming has reduced by 4%. That, to me, doesn't resonate with my experience in a small local area. No, if you no, even in a local area here as well. And if you ring up and and we have rang up uh, for the radio station and done our research as well, and the phone calls have gone through the roof. You know, they've multiplied the phone calls and the issues and the concerns and everything as well. So we're at a time where we've got to ground, we've got to stabilize, we've got to mobilize together and see what it is we want as a community and community living. We've got to mind each other. We have got to have common sense and forget that if you speak out, you're a conspiracy theorist. That's just a sidetrack. Common sense rules. As I said to someone the other day, and there was a man, there was people who knew something was wrong and mainstream and they were looking for an alternative. And this guy came along and helped them. And more and more people followed them because they understood there was something wrong. Mainstream wasn't right. There was too much state and they were trying to figure out. Do you know who that guy was? Jesus Christ. And himself. Yeah, absolutely. And what did they do? They nailed him to a cross. <laughs> but after every crucifixion, there is a resurrection. So I yeah. am ever hopeful for the resurrection. And we are, we are, we will have that. And it's we'll lovely, be. lovely talking to you, Joe. Thanks for Thank having you. me. And I will organize that group for you. Yeah. And um, if people want to reach out um, and connect with your show or get you online, where can they find you? I run a company called THC Consult and I work as an occupational uh, psychologist, executive coach and uh, psychometrician. So you can get me on uh, www.thcconsult.ie. You can get me on LinkedIn or follow my YouTube uh, channel, Asking the Hard Questions, What Legacy Are We Leaving Our Young? And it's really gathering momentum. This week I have Joanne Hessian from Lift Ireland on and it's a fiercely positive, positive Believing our young are creating their legacy. They're creating the legacy and it's really upbeat. So pop on that and thank you. Thank you, Joe. Teresa, thank you for coming on the show. Not at all. Thank you.